welcome to the Outer Circle Inner Stillness. Reflections and conversations exploring recovery work in spiritual disciplines and where they come together. The Outer Circle comes from a recovery exercise called the Three Circles. The Middle Circle contains the bottom line behaviors, those destructive patterns you are working to avoid. The Second Circle contains those behaviors, patterns, places, and relationships that, while not inherently bad, for you are an integral part of the spiral towards the Middle Circle. The outer circle contains the vision of your best and fullest self that you are seeking to live. Turning towards this full self is turning away from your middle circle. The outer circle explores daily practices that promote sobriety, presence, balance, connection, thriving, purpose, healing, and resilience. Inner stillness is a concept from Orthodox Christian spiritual thought that refers to the deepest part of a person's soul, the place where God lives and speaks. In pursuing the outer circle and the inner stillness, I believe we can find all that we need. Welcome once again to the outer circle and the inner stillness. My name is Reese Basimio, and I'm with Ian Nelson today once again, and this is delightful. Hey, Ian, how are you struggling today? Oh, rough, <laughs> man. Dang. I mean, that question, how are you struggling today? That's how you're going to start out my... Okay, let's see. <laughs> right. Okay, and I'm, I'm going with that. I'm not... I'm taking it seriously. No, I'm I believe like struggling it. today. Yeah. There's a lot of things in my reality right now that I would prefer that weren't... That, that weren't... That are, that are painful and that are... Mostly they're, mostly they're unknowns, you know, job stuff is kind of up in the air right now. Amanda's, uh, my wife is changing shifts and that's really hard on her sleep schedule and her body. And those things are tough and painful and yeah, kind of, kind of in a transition period where I'm trying to figure out who I am and how I'm going to make it in this, in this very specifically structured society that has me doing specific things in order to survive. So struggling with a lot of things today, but it's a good struggle. You know, I'm glad to be alive and struggling. So I'm glad how are you struggling alive. today? I am, I am struggling and I'm yes, unconventionally going to be yeah, really open about that. I'm tired. It's been, well, some, and some of that's also my mm-hmm. own fault <laughs> for, you know, poor margins, that sort of thing. But I don't know. I, I mean, I'm thankful that I have a lot of work, but it's it's tiring work and it's emotionally draining. And I, I'm I'm becoming more aware of like the emotional and spiritual burdens attached to it. And being with people, it weighs on me. And I go home and I have a hard time being really present with my wife and really present with my kids. And I'm kind of scared about the world. And I'm realizing I have to raise three boys to love the Lord and love people in this world that seems to hate everybody. And I don't yeah. always know how I'm going to do that. And, and then I'm this afraid of my own insecurities and my own discomforts and a lot of things. So there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to juggle, a lot to balance. And it wears, it wears. I feel, I feel burdened by all the things. Definitely very much. And that, that seems, those are, those things seem to be the cause of, I, I I would assume that those things are at times at least causes of suffering for both of us. The things that we are I struggling so. with and against and for. I think yeah. so. Which is I what we're talking about. Which is what we're talking about. Yeah. In case 
the listener can't see the title of the podcast. We're doing a podcast about suffering and struggle and pain. Pain. I would venture to say, well, I would speculate that for us, there's a couple particularly, there's a couple particular enhancements to, you know, however we understand our struggles. Most notably being that we are uh, endeavoring to follow after the Lord Jesus and become more like him. And that automatically puts us at odds with a lot of the world and all of the spiritual forces. So I think there's an added element of, of struggle there. I would also speculate, and I mean, obviously let me know what you think about this, that you and I both embracing a recovery process, um, I think that adds some struggle as well. And, and that can happen in a lot of ways. Most notably, what I'm thinking is that for all of the struggles and sufferings that people have, there are an equal number of ways to like escape them or numb them or dissociate or distract or obsess over or try to control. And we could say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, and you can tell me what you think, that part of a recovery process has to do with being present. A major aspect of sobriety is presence and embracing reality as it is, not trying to escape it, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily not trying to like obsessively control it, although we do attempt to order it. And and again, I think as soon as we mm-hmm. say yes, I want to do this process, that automatically puts us at, at, at odds at odds with things and perhaps more things inside our own selves than outside. That's my premise. What are what are you what are you thinking? Yep. Yeah. So I think. I think right on. Um, uh-huh. I, mean, I am brilliant. And, and, I, and I think, and well, it's not complete yet. So of course and <laughs> we are brilliant. And, and yes, um, there's no um, I, yeah. I think the thing that, that I hesitate to go along with is, is the idea that, that, that just we're at odds and that just we're are in recovery, you know, like I think, I mean, the, I think we like to define people that are at odds with kind of the evil things as just Christians or, or people that are in recovery as just those that are in recovery from kind of the, the society defined substances, you know? So, I mean, there are many people who may be in recovery for, for caffeine right now or for stress or for control or for pride or for, Lust or for a lot of these shopping, things. gambling, and yes, all of them. yeah, we just all have that stuff. And then, and and Absolutely. I think we all also are are trying to pursue love and and goodness in our own way, just as Christians are, you know. So mm-hmm. and I and I and that isn't I I am still identifying as as Christian, but that's not the only thing I identify as. Uh, so mm-hmm. I I identify with the the goal to become more like Christ and. I also identify with the adult, the goal to become more like Ramdas or Buddha or Muhammad or other other people that that I believe are also good models, or like my mother, or like the person that I that I know that I am when I'm healthy, you know. So we are in, in similar similar worldviews there, but I think I think yeah, a lot of those a lot of those things are suffering if um, if we're we're taking those goals to be um, like we're messing up on them or we're, uh, we're not getting it right or things aren't as they shouldn't be. Basically. 
And you bring up a good point to expand the definition of what recovery is or what addiction could be to include not just conventional drugs and alcohol, but a whole bunch of other behaviors, relationships, uh, consumables, emotions, even, uh, you know, there's a way that we can have really compulsive disordered relationships with all of those things. And so mm-hmm. we could more broadly understand recovery as a, working to bring ourselves into order. The specific shape of that order will depend mm-hmm. on whichever you know teacher you're following, whichever model you're working with, but it, uh, it is, it is in a sense working against the flow of things and, and it is well at least difficult, if not actually painful. You had also brought up this yep. other really good question of how are, how are we defining suffering, or or at least today, you know, how are we sitting and using the word struggle and suffering, at least for a reference point. Yep. And this doesn't need to be a definitive definition for for everyone, but uh, for our reference point today, what are you thinking today? Yeah, so a big the big way that I sign, define suffering is is including pain as a as another definition that pairs with it that pain. Pain is the things that that hurt our our body and hurt other bodies. Just the the senses that we get when a when a when there's something that is wrong or bad or hurtful in some way um, that that comes into our brain, and then our, our brain has to figure out what to do with it. And 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 that's that's a lot of that that always happens in life when you have a body, you have all this pain, but suffering. Is defined in in my in my worldview at this point as the resistance to any of that pain that comes in. Um, so those are those are two different things. That if if pain comes in and it's it's giving us this, these signals of um, these actions are bad, like we need to go towards something else. If the brain resists all those things and and thinks thinks things that aren't true. Like I shouldn't be feeling this pain. Uh, I shouldn't, or I should be feeling happy. I have all the material things. Why am I not happy? I should. I. It takes this this pain and it resists it. And that's so. That's really what I'm what I'm defining as as suffering. And that, and that's kind of a common definition from um, like from from Buddhist kinds of teachings and. Um, Ram Dass talks a lot about that, 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 that it's a resistance to this, to this data that is coming in and it's different, different from that data and that it's only coming from our minds. It's not based in reality. I think that that perspective would mesh really well with what I'm coming to understand about, say, internal family systems, uh, where, where that approach is all about the, the relationships one has within oneself between one's different parts and where there is antagonism mm-hmm. or hatred, disavowal of a part, that is part of where the suffering comes from. It's part of what drives the imbalances. And there are other clinical frameworks that say uh, there are no there are no negative events or there's no distressing events. There's only distressing interpretations of them. And so again, yep. the idea of like the the suffering the suffering element comes from within and how you experience the thing. I, I would I would add to yep. you know what, what you're saying, you just a few other words kind of saying the same thing, but uh, you know, what is suffering, you know, physical pain, or it could more broadly say just like distress of some sort, which could be physical, could be emotional. It's the mm-hmm. perception of some sort of threat or stressor from outside or inside. And I would say it exists on a spectrum, a spectrum of degree, because there's going to be distress that we can handle 
all right, and distress that's kind of uncomfortable, and then distress that feels overwhelming. And the what is overwhelming depends very much on the person, their context, where they're at in that day, that moment in their lives. But the the suffering aspect of it, or you know, you could even you know connect to like the the trauma of it, is when I experience something is more than I can handle in the moment, or overwhelming all my all my systems. And so, sure. so yeah, so I guess that leads us to yep. thinking about how that relationship is. And I think and I think I think it's helpful to think of it in terms in terms of the the internal experience and a, and a degree thing, uh, rather than looking at specific external events because i mean nobody's gonna you know everybody experiences different external events but no two people will experience the same external event uh, the same and so you know it's no good trying to compare well you know this person was raped but that person was bullied but you know that person only didn't get into music school there's i mean those are all very different things and they i don't know they're, they're very different but but to mm-hmm. but what we're looking at is like one a person's internal experience of an event, and for better or for worse, you could say, well, you know, this person's cup of suffering was maxed out. That person's cup of suffering was maxed out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe the different size cups, but again, it's mm-hmm. it's internal in that sense. Yep. Yeah. Our brains, our brains have all been responding to widely different data sets throughout our life that prepares them for different painful circumstances, you know? So a, a kid, a kid growing up with a ton of privilege, a ton of money, there's, there's still things that the brain is, is, is seeing as a threat and as painful that are going to be, that are going to be in there for that brain to uh, attach to or to be averse to. And they neurologically, those pains like, like, okay, I'm, I didn't, I didn't make more than a hundred K this year. Like I should have made more than a hundred K this year and I should have not squandered my dad's investments. Like my, like my huge, this huge loan that my dad gave me from his company or something like that. You know, like those kinds of things, they're going to, they're, they would register on the, on the brain in the same, same way that like, um, a kid that maybe lost, lost their job at a, at a fast food, restaurant would would feel like the shame that, that comes there because there's there's just there's a variety of different conditioning and it's like they're they're widely different worlds and but it's all our brains are all extremely unique you know and of course there's there's even a spectrum of course that we can we can see that like the brain really hates physical suffering and like physical torture or something you know that that's like that's universal because but the body's like this is really really bad for us you know but it's gonna be loud it's gonna be yeah usually the body hates pain uh i think there are some exceptions but um aka everybody who's gotten tattoos yeah Uh but anyway some people it's, it's interesting that people can and i still don't really understand this but people can become pretty much addicted to the pain and then reward of like working out in a gym, you know, like mm-hmm. there's, there's obviously, I think there's always a part of the brain that's just like, man, this hurts. We got to watch out. So we don't break this bone or rip this mm-hmm. muscle. And it's just always kind of a bad signal, but there's other parts of the brain that are like hurts. So good is a phrase 
that's like we all we i think we we hear that all the time and it's something that's like there we recognize that when it comes to specific intentional things we can we can experience pain and not suffer from it we can we can be like this pain i mm-hmm. i recognize this is actually good for me and then we can accept yeah. it and then and move through it move through the whole the rest of the workout and then and then actually after that we benefit from um i mean serotonin comes bigger muscles come more strength comes and that's i think that's a pretty good analogy for suffering in a lot of contexts working out is a really interesting way because it could definitely go both ways it could be uh embracing that pain the, the pain of working out as a way of feeling less of other things like i'm i'm preoccupied with this pain that I am controlling, and that's a major aspect of that as well, so that I don't feel my emotions and so that I don't have to think about other responsibilities or consider other things. I just have this one kind of painful thing that I'm controlling to think about. And we might say that would be where you're more at risk for having a, an obsessive relationship with it, which would be not healthy. Uh, but at the same time, the, the healthy version of that would be like what you're talking about, saying this hurts, this hurts my body. But I have a goal and I have a clear understanding of this is the reason why I'm doing this. And you know, for the, uh, for the joy of the price that before me, I, I will endure the bench press. So mm-hmm. here's, so I want to, so I want to segue a little bit into kind of, kind of the premise of, of this conversation and that being the embrace of struggle, the embrace of suffering. And this idea that mm-hmm. struggle and suffering are actually, well, for sure, normal, more normal than not, and possibly even actually really good. And again, uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, we we could leave it at there at, at a spectrum of things. You know, saying you know something that's difficult is maybe a little bit less than something that's a struggle is much something less than something that's suffering. And everyone has to define their own experiences in that regard. But but I think what we're 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 exploring is why to embrace the struggle as opposed to escaping it or trying to dull it or ignore it. Yeah, I have a, I have a lot of ideas, so I th- but I, I will be a train wreck. <laughs> see, I see two main routes that I would want to go with this question, and they're they're seemingly contradictory. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I but love that, it already. That suffering, <laughs> that suffering is good to reduce, and that suffering is also good. Like I think those are both true. And I think it'd be good to to go down both of those both of those routes. So I'm 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 thinking, yeah, let's talk about I think first that like is it good to reduce suffering? Because because obviously not all suffering is something to be embraced, you know. It's like I think I think a lot of my history has included a lot of suffering that I'm learning is unnecessary of of me like the suffering of hating oneself is not like it's not, it's unnecessary suffering. It's like extra. It's like we're we're trying to re, we're trying to learn to reduce it, but but really the way that we learn to reduce suffering, I think, is through is through suffering. It's through using that tool and actually listening to this data that we're getting, right? So is that so I mean, I, and of course, I mean, I think every human kind of agrees it's good to reduce suffering, and and that. I mean that that would match up pretty well. You would think about it too, right? What do you think? Mm, uh, 
Mostly. Uh, I, again, so here's where I think yeah. context really matters. So, so throw out a, so I'll throw out, throw out a couple concepts that, or words about, about what you're saying, this idea of reducing suffering. And, and I think you talked about a couple, a couple of different things there, like, especially when you get into like the inner narratives and the inner burdens. So, so especially, so one of the, one of the really important concepts to consider is, and there's a couple of different words for it. You know, some people call it the, the flow state or, you know, in my clinical world, we'll sometimes call it the recovery zone. Uh, in the educational world, it's the, the zone of proximal development. And what that is, it's the sweet spot in between being uh, overstressed and understressed. You know, if you don't have enough stress or enough mm-hmm. challenge or enough struggle, you're not going to grow. You're going to stagnate. And it's just, you're not going to thrive. But on the other end, if there's too much struggle, too much pain, then you're filled beyond your capacity to cope and you're not going to learn and you're just going to overwhelm and you're going to fry and it's not good. And so a lot of managing the chaos of one's life rhythm or managing one's life rhythm is getting a sense for what is a good amount of stress, struggle, challenge for me. And most likely that can grow and develop over time. You know, the person who's starting out in the gym should probably not lift very much. The person who's been there a year should be able to be to be lifting more by then. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so a we're wanting to get a sense for what is an appropriate level of struggle for me at my developmental level, at my spiritual level, in the particular area of struggle that I'm struggling. Um, and I, I want to say yep. that, speaking apophatically for a moment, so struggle like we're talking about is not punishment from someone else or from within. It's not, not the inner critic voice. Mm. And it's not the burdens we carry either. Um, burdens being like the, the, like the disempowering, like trauma narratives, the shame narratives, the, the you're a failure narratives. Um, those are, those are there and those are painful in a way, but I would say those are, those are pains to yes, unblend from reduce, and not really give heed to, um, which I, I think all of those are different than this mm-hmm. idea of I'm striving after something good and it's hard. Like say one is saying I'm, I'm striving for this particular college degree and it's really hard. Or another person saying I'm striving to remain sexually faithful to my committed partner. And that's hard. It's okay that sure. those things are hard and, and the pains that come with those are, are okay to be leaned into but trying to labor under this idea of like, you know, I feel like these people are saying I should save the world and I should do all of these things and I should just be better and better, better, better. And like all of these people are saying, and all of these people are saying, and I just feel like a really shameful, bad human being because of that. Like, like that's not the suffering we're talking about. I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm trying to key in on that key differences. I think, I think it's centered on what is true and what is false. I think that there's a certain amount of suffering that we can put our stu- ourselves through that just comes out of nowhere. Just <clears throat> and and so and the two of the words that come to mind most are guilt and shame. So I think guilt is really good to feel we have done something bad that hurts ourselves or hurts another, and shame is is something that is a lie where where we believe, as Brene Brown defines it, that we are bad. So there's both of those things, they cause suffering, like to, to ag- acknowledge, Oh man, I just, I just hit my sister in the face 
on accident while I was twirling this thing around. Like that, that is sad. Like that is sad that I made the mistake of twirling this thing without knowing the impact it could have. It's sad that it impacted my sister in a way that it led to pain for her. And that's like, that's really good to acknowledge that something you did had a negative impact on someone. Cause then you can not hit your sister in the face repeatedly after that. It's like, that's really good to learn. But the thing that, yeah, the and thing then you that can repair the damage, which is also good. Exactly. Yeah. Repair restoration. And it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a punishment. Like you said, um, to feel bad about hitting your sister in the face. It's, it's, it's just, it's a natural consequences instead of, instead of a punitive one. And then there's the one that says you are bad where maybe the dad comes in and says, like, why did you do that? What, what's wrong with you? That's the question that is asked of us so often. I think as kids is what is wrong with you? And what is wrong? With and you? that question goes right into shame where it's like, well, something is wrong with me. And it's not, it's not, that I'm growing and I'm learning and I, and I, I, I mean, that's my, my answer would as a kid, not that this was asked of me all the time, would, would basically, be, I don't know, you know, or the, or the question, what were you thinking? I was like, I don't, I don't know. You know, I was, I was learning, you know, and really, it, so I think, so this kid, the kid that I work with, he, he has a hard time getting things wrong, but one of the main things that I try to, teach him is that that getting things wrong is just is how we learn you know it's how we grow so there's that's reducing the suffering of shame that it's messed up that he he's getting things wrong and it's also it's really really like taking the the pain of getting something wrong that's like oh man yeah i didn't do that thing or i did hit someone on accident it's really using that pain so it's simultaneously um, eliminating the false pain of shame. That's just a lie. That's just, that says that, that he's messed up because he got nine out of 10 questions on this math thing, which is awesome. You know, cause he did so much. And then it's, and it's really using the pain of the, the one question that it's like, Oh yeah, you missed up that question. You got the rest of them, right? But Hey, let's learn from that one because the rest of it, you got it. You know, so we can remember that disappointment of like, I did that one thing wrong and then we can really run with it, you know, but otherwise it's like we're dealing with both the pain of guilt and the pain of shame. And that's with, that's not functional. It's not practical. There's a really important concept. I think is important related to what you're talking about. Um, because so we're making the case that one should embrace struggle and lean into it. And there's going to be some more unhealthy ways to do it and some healthier ways. I would say one of the healthier ways or one of the really healthy, needful components to leaning into a struggle has to do with leadership and, or mentorship or, you know, discipleship. It's used a buzzword. Um, this idea of someone who can know me, know my progress and help me gauge if I'm leaning in too much or too little. Am I being, am I being strict enough with myself or am I being too strict? Um, like, okay, I got nine out of 10, right? I missed one. You know, is it appropriate for me to strongly criticize myself or just loosely criticize or, or not at all? And if I'm not able to make that determination for myself, then I might, then I need someone that I trust who who knows more to be able to, to say that, you know, and I mean, this comes up a lot as I'm 
supporting some people in, in recovery work on, you know, setting boundaries for themselves. Like how close can I get to my target behavior and, and still be okay? Or how close can I get to this person and still be okay? And, and, and a lot of what we talk about is really, really moderating the, the standard one self is holding one to, or the amount of struggle one is embracing at any given time. And I think that fluctuates. Sometimes we're able to handle more and we should be more strict with, with ourselves. Other times we need to give ourselves a break. And sometimes we're able to gauge them for ourselves, but sometimes we need someone more experienced, whether it's your counselor or your sponsor, a mentor, a pastor, a priest, spiritual father, spiritual mother, someone to help you figure that out on the journey. Because a lot of times, I mean, especially when we're in the thick of it, like it's it's hard to have like a full perspective when we're overwhelmed. But it's actually probably when we're overwhelmed, it's, we probably can't have a really full long-term perspective because we're overwhelmed. We're in crisis. I was having another thought yeah. about your, um, you know, the way that we presented this, you know, uh, when, when is it good to reduce suffering and when is suffering good? I think a related thought in there has to do with who wants the suffering. Like I, I can, I could never, you know, mandate to somebody, you know, bow shalt embrace thy sufferings, uh, and just say, suffering is good for you. Embrace it. It's fine. Because I, I don't know the person and I don't know what they can handle um, unless I take a lot of time and work to, to get to know the person. Um, but even still, to just like expect that a person would like, you know, accept the full Monty and do all the suffering, that could be really cruel. And it's not a compassionate approach to demand that of someone or to impose a really high standard of something on a person. But it changes though when the other person says, okay, I want this. I want to embrace this. I want to take up this cross for myself and lean into this at that point that person's open and willing and and then you know the conversation changes i could say okay let me help you do this well best i understand but 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 i think that i, I don't know if a person's just like not open to what we're talking about like you know embracing struggle embracing suffering and they really and they're or they're really just like in a place of like i've been burnt out and overwhelmed and i really just need relief then like the compassionate thing to do is to be like, yep, yeah, I'm not going to expect much of you. I'm going to be very gentle, very merciful. And yeah, let's prioritize you getting rest and care and relief. And that would just be the more compassionate thing to do, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so hard to, to stay away from kind of the dualistic way of thinking of these things. And like that to say, to say just that suffering is bad or that suffering is good um it's to maybe act like there is just one form and 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 as though it's clear what we're talking about when we're talking about suffering being good or being bad you know uh and there's clearly a lot of things that that hurt in different ways um that we would say are are suffering i guess i, I think i'm wanting to go back to defining it again and this is such a big question i mean this this is i think the biggest question of theology too which is i mean i think it's the theodicy is that the name of it i forget what it's called but the question of why is there suffering if god is good you know and oh, the problem like, of evil to, to me <laughs> is that theocracy i forget the I forget the name of it there's a whole name for it it's a whole thing um and for the problem so of, of to me, evil yeah, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It's just we we made up a word, and now that's what we use. So it's, it doesn't matter that much. But um, 
the, the thing that to me that suffering always shows is that there there is something bad that has happened though that so so suffering itself is the data that our brains receive to tell us that there's something that's hurtful you know but there's always there's there's always something that actually is hurtful when there is suffering you know even when we're working out our muscles like it's really good to know that our muscles are being ripped you know like ripping is ha- has the potential of just breaking a muscle tearing it apart you know so like it's good to know it's good to know any of it any of it is like it 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 tells us that there's damage going on and and i don't think i don't think we would ever look at someone and say it's good to break your arm you know a broken arm is is good <laughs> but we we might look at someone and say like it's a good thing you felt that your arm was broken you know if if someone's playing a football game and their arm is broken we really as as a loving person and hopefully for themselves would want them to feel that pain and to pull themselves out of the game you know like uh, I don't know why sports analogies are coming out of me right now, but that one seems fitting. Like I, I think so that pain, yeah. that suffering would be good in that moment, but the broken arm would not be, you know? So that's it. When we come into someone else's suffering, that's where, that's where the nuance is of like, there's this, the suffering is, is, is showing you something is messed up. And we're not going to say that that thing is not messed up, you know? But the suffering itself, the pain that our, our brain experiences, is the thing that can direct us towards what actually is good. And that's the good news of suffering. Yeah, that's so important. And I mean, speaking speaking as a, as a Christian person, as an Orthodox person, recognizing that, yeah, there are problems and the like the evils in the world are, are evils in the world. And, you know, we can say, generally speaking, suffering is more normal than not and perhaps develop a different relationship altogether, which I think allows for a lot, you know, in that sense, like everything can become for a good if, you know, if struggle is just normal. But I think we're also, I mean, I mean, again, you know, Christianly speaking, I mean, looking at this through the lens of, of our, of our example, the Lord Jesus, the crucifixion, um, it was a very evil thing and a very brutal, painful suffering event. But in the spiritual mystical realities of how everything went down, like that was his victory. It's very much like the the way the way up is down, and through through his suffering was his victory. And you know, and we there's a moment in in the divine liturgy where um, where we have what's what's called the the grand procession, where we it's mo- it's loosely modeled after like an ancient Roman victory procession. You know, and you know the Roman centurion, the, the Roman leader would, you know, come back parading all of his war trophies through to the city and there'd be, you know, cheers and everything. And, you know, our, our version of that in the liturgy is parading the Eucharist, like the broken, shattered body and blood of Christ. You know, his death was his victory and his his pain was his glory. And, you know, we who are baptized into that same death and resurrection, like we, we, we follow that same arc. Like, um, you know, our struggle becomes our salvation. You know, our humility becomes our glory and you know you know our our death becomes our life and everything and mm-hmm. and, I, and i think i say that just to, to to recognize that yeah like like you're saying like like the evil is real and and shouldn't be excused or justified uh or, or ignored at all but there's also a lot of hope in there too because and again in the mysteries of how how christ works like 
even the evils can be turned in turned for the good or used used to bring about salvation in some some peculiar way which is a hard thing because it's evil and like it's it's evil and it's sad and it's and it's horrible and why would this even be allowed but there is that hope if we can if we can hold this perspective of of redemption and especially of resurrection like there's no if there's no hope of resurrection then there's no point in embracing suffering because it doesn't do anything but but we who really believe that the resurrection is real that that we are resurrected in the body then yes everything is progressing toward that goal and everything becomes useful or mm-hmm. or yeah it can become useful in helping us grow and prepare to come into the fullness of ourselves at that point so and i feel like those are again in thinking of like you know why embrace suffering like the spiritual realities become really really important at that point yeah i agree i think and and i think and i i I really appreciate the delineation between pain pain and suffering and that like the accepting that this data we're receiving about these things around us that are bad that accepting that is good but then also rejecting the resistance to what is so i mean resistance to bodily bodily death and to um the pain that comes from being in a, in a human body you know just disconnection between other humans and between our, us and ourselves and those kinds of things of like rejecting rejecting the the constructed false suffering and accepting the the, tr- the more true reality-based pain that comes in through data. Um, so I think, so both of those levels and, 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 and what you said at the end there about the spirituality, how that, how that's really important for our spirituality, especially not just as a believer, um, but also as believers as an entire body. And, and for me, that translates more into just as, as humans, um, that the, and the, the bigger the bigger we you go, the bigger group of people, the bigger group of things, um, humans, animals, earth, planets, universe, you know, like all these all of these levels, the the pain directs us towards a direction, clearly, that is that I think is good, that is will ultimately re- lead to a reduction in in suffering uh in resistance to what is and i think in even in resistance to 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 a lot of pains too you know humans humans are killing each other less than we used to in the in the broad scheme of things statistically <clears throat> there's less violent death by humans to humans than there ever has been at this time um i don't have a source for that but but i know i, I know that that is that's true. We're killing each other less. And that's great. You know, I think that's, that's less, less pain and that's less suffering. Um, when we're self-destructing our own species, that's a bad, I think that's a sign of a lot of mental suffering of saying these, we're believing these lies that are, that are false, you know? So I think it's possible. I think, I think it's happening. And I think that the goal of reducing suffering for the individual is good. And even better is the goal of reducing suffering for the the all of humanity and that's and that's actually done by embracing certain kinds of other uh, different kinds of suffering just the the pain that comes from 
the data that's showing us what is good and what is love and what is what is not. Yeah, yeah. Some there, there's a very necessary struggle, or we could say, labor to be fully present with the person, and uh, and that. Because if I'm going to be really present with you, I need to be welcoming of your experience. I need to be open and curious about it. And actually, I mean, you're to, you, you've, you, you've uh, brought up resistance a couple of times. And I, and I think that that's, there's a lot to that in that there is the, a lot of problems happen when we're in a, in, a, in a resistance mode, as opposed to a curious mode. Curious, open, just really gentle. Mm-hmm. And, and being able to be there means I have surety in myself. I have clarity. I, I know who I am. I know I'm okay because I make space for like all my own self, all my own parts. And if I can do that for me, I can do that for yes. you. If you and me can do that for us, we can do that for more people. And, and that would be a really good way to mm-hmm. approach people is to say, I don't need to resist you to mention the thing how I want to say, <laughs> I want to make this a punchy statement, but it might not work. Be like, I don't need to show you how you're wrong to still believe what I believe. I can believe what I believe and not change that and still make space for hearing you out and acknowledging your value as a human. And and even see, okay, I still don't believe I still don't agree with what you believe, but I can see why you believe that. Mm-hmm. That that is yep. possible. It is possible to take that approach to people and relationships like mm-hmm. that are better, more healing. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. that I love the idea, the, the analogy of the the student. I think we're all students. I think we're all, uh, Ramdas often likes to say, that this is the curriculum we were given. It's this life. And that a curious learner that, like you said, is is confident of who they are, is going to be able to grow and learn much more, much better than the fear, shame-based learner who is much more caught up on the things that they shouldn't do in the rules rather than just being curious about what we can learn and modeling that is the best way to teach that is just being, being those open, curious learners ourselves. So, and I think that's what Jesus was. I think that's the way that we're meant to embody is embodying the attitude of a curious and open learner instead of a resistant, resistant, resistant escaper of reality, which is really easy to do. Right. Because as the Borg say, resistance is futile. Sorry, I couldn't it is. a good Star Trek <laughs> reference. Yeah. Yep. I want to say I agree. Yeah. I want to take a minute and just throw out a couple ideas around uh the how of this. Cause I mean we've been talking about some of some of the why, and we could talk a lot more times about this and maybe we should. But for someone to say, I want to embrace a struggle, you know, and again, in my context, I'm thinking specifically like a recovery struggle, the struggle to no longer drink, to no longer smoke, to no longer look at porn, to no longer, you know, have sex, to no longer impulsively eat or, or spend or something. There's, there, there's struggle in that. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's struggle in being strict with oneself and working to, to master one's own desires and appetites. And it could be really easy for that struggle to turn into self-punishment, which is not what we're after. But again, what can make this healthy? So, hey, ever and always practicing gratitude. And, and, again, and that's less about finding things to be grateful for as much as becoming the kind of person who looks for things to be grateful for. That perspective shifts mm-hmm. often sweetens a lot of things. You know, you, we've talked a lot about community, you know, having a sense of connection to like the, the whole human race can be really good, really beautiful. You know, if you have a way to be specifically connected to like 
like a tradition, a particular community, a people who are in particular people who are struggling in the same way, whether that's, you know, Orthodox Christians, you know, struggling with other Orthodox Christians or 12 steppers and 12 steppers or whatever it is, not being alone in this is really essential. And that goes for both peers and mentors uh, and probably having people that you're caring mm-hmm. for also like having that full network is really essential. And again, like having, having that mentorship to help you regulate, am I being too strict with my, with myself? Not strict enough. You want to, you want to have that component. I think though, like probably the most important component of struggling in, within a tradition though, is, is the why is the purpose. You know, if you don't have a clear sense of why you're doing it and what the benefit is, what the spiritual benefit is, uh, then it just becomes struggle, struggle for struggle's sake. And it's just torture. And it's like a pride thing or it's a control thing or it's a compulsive thing and a not healthy thing. But mm-hmm. like with with recovery sp- particularly, and then especially if, I'd say within like Orthodox spirituality, like we, we have the sense of I am being very strict with myself and pushing myself in some really hard ways because I'm expecting very particular spiritual gains at some point. And when there is that prize, you know, the joy of the prize, you know, set before us, as well as the community and the mentorship and the sacraments and all that, you know, then one can safely be strict with oneself. You know, if all that's missing, I'd say, don't be, don't be so strict on yourself because it's just not going to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, I think it's really easy to get to attached or averse to these things that we imagine or have experienced in the past or hope to experience if we, if we're, if we're getting stuck on the joy that's set before us and like, we have to have it, we have to, it has to be this way. Um, or like, I have to be this kind of a person or I have to have this kind of a marriage or, um, I have to be, I have to be free from this addiction in this certain way by this certain time or else I'm bad. You know, like I think there's, there's a lot of things that we can, that come from our imagination of what should be and what shouldn't be, um, or what could be and what wasn't that if we get attached to them, that, that actually gets in the way of us pursuing those things. So, I mean, so, I, so in my mind, the, the, the practical, and this is kind of more philosophical, but the, the practical philosophical practices that we can have are, are seeing, seeing what is good moving forward, seeing what has been hurtful in the past and then the accepting of what is in the present. And that's, that's really easier said than said than done. Right. But, you know, part of what we're after too is like the is the ongoing practice, the daily practice, because um, it's you know not about achieving specific milestones as much as changing as a person, and that you know that takes a little time, takes a while <laughs> to change as a person. Yep. So speaking of struggle, it pains me to say this, but uh, <laughs> I think we'll have to uh, conclude our discussion for the day. It pains me to say goodbye to you because I I, I like you and I appreciate your ideas incredibly much. Same to you. Well, maybe we, can, maybe we can learn from that pain, and I'm curious to see what it'll lead to in the future. Me too. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for being here, Ian. We'll we'll talk again soon. Thank you for joining me in today's conversation. My name is Reese Basimio. I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian and a clinical counselor with specialties in substance use, compulsive behaviors, sexuality, and trauma. You can reach me through newpatterncounseling.com. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Theme music is by Titus Lockard. Please like, rate, review, and share this podcast from all your favorite platforms. Please also consider showing your support of this work through contributing dollars through the podcast page at 
patreon.com slash outer circle. Thank you and see you next time. Thank you.